This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Tuesday, April 25th, 2023. It's been 3,345 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27th, 2014, and 426 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Some housekeeping. Our war map has been down since Saturday due to it being reported for, quote, illegal activity. Google is on it, though, and full functionality should be restored sometime in the next day or two. We appreciate your understanding. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, the heaviest fighting is in the Bakhmut and Marinka operational areas, with limited combat operations in the Avdiivka operational area, and Russian forces in a defensive or moving to a defensive posture across the rest of Ukraine. Second, due to continued poor weather, flooding, and saturated soil, we find it unlikely that Ukrainian offensive operations can start before mid-May without a significant change to the long-range forecast. Third, the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and have exhausted their combat potential except in the Bakhmut operational area, where they are concentrating their resources and making point attacks. Fourth, we maintain the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut has reached its final phase, and Ukrainian forces continue to execute a planned retrograde operation. Fifth, Russian forces are experiencing a theater-wide shortage of non-precision artillery munitions, particularly anti-tank guided missiles, or ATGMs. And this can probably go without saying in the future. And finally, we maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, also known as seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive in the area of Sinkivka. In the Kupiansk operational area, the situation was stable. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. 
In the Svatva operational area, the Russian MOD reported that squad or platoon-sized Ukrainian units were on the offensive in the Novoselivska area. In the Kremina operational area, Ukrainian sources reported there wasn't significant fighting. Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo reported that Russian attacks on Nevske and Makivka ended in failure. The Russian MOD reported that small groups of Ukrainian forces were on the offensive in the forested areas west of Kremina and near Dibrova. There were reports of pockets of positional fighting in the Serebriansky woods. In the Lysychansk operational area, a Russian video showed Ukrainian forces being shelled in Little Bilohorivka, confirming that the area near the chalk mine southeast of the settlement is under Ukrainian control. Based on this new intelligence, we adjusted the map. Pictures and videos emerged from the drone strike near Russian-occupied Rovanki. Two Ukrainian drones struck the oil depot, setting one of the fuel tanks on fire. No injuries were reported, but the battle damage assessment provided by the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, indicated the contents were a total loss. In northeast Donetsk, the most intense fighting in Ukraine continues to be in Bakhmut. PMC Wagner released a new map, which validated our update yesterday. The Russian MOD reported that their forces completed 76 fire missions in the Bakhmut operational area and eight Army Aviation and Russian Air Force, or VKS, close air support sorties. Northwest of Bakhmut, PMC Wagner led attacks in the direction of Novomarkove, Hryurivka, Bohdanivka, and Hromove. Organzo reported the attack on Hryurivka failed, and the Russian MOD claimed Ukraine launched an unsuccessful counteroffensive in the area of Bohdanivka. In the northern part of Bakhmut, PMC Wagner confirmed that the new line of conflict is on Krenya Street, south of the Pivnichny Reservoir, and their forces now control Rose Alley. There was no update on the status of School No. 24, which we assess is a no-man's land. In central Bakhmut, PMC Wagner claimed that railroad stations 1 and 2, the grain elevators and the pre-detention center are under their control, and their mercenaries have advanced to Pushkin Street in the western part of the city. This aligns with our assessment from yesterday and the map update. Ukrainian forces no longer hold any positions east of the railroad tracks. On the southern edge of the city center, PMC Wagner has advanced to Krynaya Street. In the southern part of Bakhmut, fighting continues to be lighter along Korsunskoho Street. Ukrainian forces still control schools 2 and 40 and the area around the former MiG-17 statue and have maintained access to the T-504 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, though travel is extremely difficult. Fighting continued south of Ivanivsky with no change in the situation. Kramatorsk was hit by two missiles, which the Russian MOD claims were Iskander SRBMs, but the damage is more consistent with an S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack. One missile struck near a public bus stop, carving a crater into the sidewalk. The other landed nearby in a residential area, damaging homes, a pharmacy, a school, and a church. In southwest Donetsk, a quick errors and omissions. Yesterday, I said that one of the Russian objectives in the region is to set conditions for September 2022 elections. Barring a significant advancement in technology that would enable time travel, 
I meant September 2023. We thank you for your understanding. Fighting continues at a reduced operational tempo in the Avdiivka operational area. Russian forces made marginal gains in the direction of Novokalinovi and failed to advance in the direction of Stepova. Intense positional fighting continued in the eastern part of Pervomaiske with no change in the situation. At the time of recording, there was an unconfirmed report from a very reliable source of a new Russian offensive from Opitne in the direction of Sieverne. In the Marinka operational area, fighting continued in the Druzhby Avenue area of the city with no change there either. On the eastern edge of Marinka, a Russian S-24 240mm self-propelled mortar was destroyed by Ukrainian artillery, with the Russian crew abandoning the SPG. This is the eighth S-24 Tulpan destroyed since February 24, 2022, out of an inventory of nine. Russia has dozens in its reserves. It is unknown, however, if any of these have been brought back into service. Russian forces once again attempted to advance on Novomikhailivka and, after nine years, moved one to two hundred meters forward along a tree line we had already mapped under Russian control. There was no change to the map due to our previous assessment. Moving on to Zaporizhia. Russian collaborator and occupied Zaporizhia administrator Vladimir Rogov claimed that Ukraine launched a, quote, massive artillery campaign that lasted more than 90 minutes. In a follow-up report, massive, according to Rogov, was 30 artillery shells. Massive. The occupied regions of Zaporizhia are being hit by significant flooding, impacting up to 1,400 homes due to heavy rains over the weekend and the soil being completely saturated. There was no update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, or ZNPP. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported four Black Sea fleet vessels on patrol, including two Kilo-class submarines capable of launching up to eight caliber cruise missiles in total. In a follow-up to yesterday's report, there is no evidence that the Ukrainian drone strike caused significant damage to Sevastopol port facilities or any vessels of the Black Sea Fleet. It remains unclear what exactly burned in the port area. In western and central Ukraine, Operational Command South, or OKS, Director of Communications, Captain Natalia Khumenyuk, asked to, quote, keep everything quiet, end quote, about Ukrainian forces on the east bank of the Dnipro River, adding that an active counter-battery effort was ongoing that destroyed at least 13 Russian artillery pieces. The Crimean Tatar insurgent organization Atesh claimed they destroyed a checkpoint near Olishki using an IED, killing an unspecified number of Rosgvardia members. Local residents reported a loud explosion at one of the bridges in the city, which supports the claim. In north and northeast Ukraine, in the Sumy Oblast, the Hromadas of Miropol, Esmen, Shalakhin, Bilopilia, Znobnovhorod, Yunakiv, and Seredina Buda were attacked with mortars, artillery shells, and drone-delivered IEDs. Over 80 rounds were fired, causing damage to homes, farms, and outbuildings in Miropol and Esmen. On the Russian front in Moscow, Vnukova Airport was put on a ground hold because a drone was detected near the airfield. 
Several flights were delayed during the hold, which ended after a few minutes when it was determined there was no threat. In a separate incident, a drone allegedly made in Ukraine packed with 17 kilograms of explosives was found in the Moscow Oblast. The UAV was discovered on April 23rd, lying on the ground in a forested area near Noginsk. Russian state media agency Baza claims the wreckage was from a Ukrainian-made UJ-22 airborne. Explosive Ordnance Disposal, or EOD, experts were on the scene for five hours. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. The Ukrainian Air Force reported that air defenses in eastern Ukraine intercepted six Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 and two Russian Lancet kamikaze drones. At the time of recording, there were no claims by Russian sources of successful drone strikes. There were reports of two explosions in Zaporizhia, but that was hours before the drones were reportedly shot down. Another video showed how firm a grip Bezdorizhia has in Zaporizhia, with a Ukrainian tank towing an infantry fighting vehicle in near-amphibious conditions. The advisor to the head of the president's office, Mikhailo Podolyak, condemned a Washington Post story referencing so-called anonymous sources to claim Ukraine was planning wide-scale strikes on Moscow on February 24th and that U.S. officials talked them out of conducting the attack. Podolyak said stories like the one in the Washington Post, quote, fulfill only one catastrophic function. They shape public opinion in Western capitals as if Ukraine was an unreasonable, infantile and impulsive country that is dangerous for adults to trust with serious weapons. Whether this is done consciously or unconsciously is yet another question. End quote. During an interview with Voice of America, U.S. National Security Council for the White House, John Kirby, expressed a belief that Russia would launch a renewed offensive when weather and ground conditions improve, saying, quote, We know that in the spring, when the weather improves, and it is already starting to improve, you can expect the Russians to want to go on the offensive in some areas. We do not know exactly where and how they will do this, but we want to ensure that the Ukrainians were better able to defend against it. If they decide on their own offensive operations, they would be able to carry them out. End quote. Citing anonymous sources, Politico claimed that the White House is discussing a ceasefire plan in the event Ukraine's offensive fails. The most important detail of such a, quote, agreement should be the possibility of Kyiv in the future regaining most of the territories occupied by Russia. The unnamed officials were also skeptical that the Ukrainian armed forces can cut the land corridor to Crimea, adding that Washington has advised Ukrainian leaders, quote, not to disperse its forces, and warned of, quote, the dangers of overambition, end quote. The former director of the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA, and former commander of the U.S. and NATO forces in Afghanistan, David Petraeus, said that Ukraine would launch its offensive in late May or early June, and it would be, quote, damn strong. 
He added that he believed the attack would be, quote, most likely in the south, end quote, in an attempt to sever the land bridge to Crimea. In the Khmelnytsky region, the Security Service of Ukraine, or SBU, broke up a scheme to sell fake medical documents to achieve a disability exemption from military service. People were charged up to $10,000 to receive a fake medical waiver, depending on the urgency and their financial resources, and Ukrainian officials believe up to 100 people participated in the scheme. The SBU set up a sting operation, approaching the organizers who offered to sell an exemption for $4,600. Speaking of schemes, let's talk about the Russian military mobilization and MIR. Russia has not sent about 120,000 conscripts to Ukraine who are eligible for deployment because they cannot be spared. Kirilo Budinov, chief of Ukraine's Defense Intelligence, or GUR, said, quote, Because there are losses, there is some ongoing work and someone has to do it. Since the losses are quite significant, this personnel shortage must be compensated by someone. End quote. The Wall Street Journal claimed Russian ships transport artillery shells and other munitions from Iran across the Caspian Sea. Over the past six months, Cargo ships have transported more than 300,000 artillery shells and a million small arms rounds. According to officials in the Middle East, the last batch of Iranian weapons was sent in early March aboard the Russian cargo ship Rasul Gamzatov. This is not a story we take pleasure in reporting, but the impact of the trauma of warfare and PTSD is devastating a generation of Russians who are now returning home. The Russian military, mercenaries, and former prisoners who fought in Ukraine and are increasingly returning home are fueling a surge in violent crime. Alexander Khodakovsky, the recently promoted commander of OMON forces in the Donetsk People's Republic, shared a news report adding, quote, This is what the collapse of the state looks like. End quote. As with most of the photos and videos we reference here on the podcast, we do link to the video in our full situation report on Patreon. In the Moscow region, the commissariat required the parents of an adult child who is disabled, blind, and intellectually challenged to prove that he is mentally and physically incapable of being conscripted. Russian officials forced the family to present the young man for examination. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we have some tentative good news. GUR head Budinov said that Russia and Ukraine are negotiating a total exchange of all prisoners of war, adding that the negotiations are unprecedented, with no example in modern history of a total prisoner swap occurring while hostilities are still ongoing. In geopolitical news, China said it respected the, quote, sovereign state status of all ex-Soviet countries on Monday, after Beijing's ambassador to France sparked outrage in Europe by questioning the sovereignty of those nations. Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Mao Ning said, quote, China respects the sovereign state status of the participating republics after the dissolution of the Soviet Union. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, China was one of the first countries to establish diplomatic relations with the relevant countries. End quote. The Chinese embassy in Paris removed the interview with Lu Shen from its website 
and dozens of European leaders have called for Liu to be declared persona non grata. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.